You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Jake Corley. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Welcome back to another episode of the Oil & Gas This Week podcast. You're listening to episode 181. What's up, Mark? What's up is, what is that, 19 before 200? We need to put some type of special event for our 200th episode. We're, we're going to do it. Yeah, if anybody in the audience wants to help us with that, wants to, to be a partner with us and maybe sponsor, it would be some great exposure. So just reach out to me or Jake and, and we'll share the details. Not that we know the details yet, but we'll share them by the time you reach out to us. The other thing I want to mention real quick is thank you for everybody that entered our contest for the Oil & Gas Offshore podcast. We had a tremendous response. We broke LinkedIn for a little while. Our one mistake that we made was that we had a lot of people say, hey, I don't want my employer to know that I'm entering this unless I win, then I'll cross that bridge. So besides the 20 or so you'll see on LinkedIn with the hashtag, we had a, a pretty close to 100 more sent to me direct. So it was really hard to pick a winner, but congratulations. Andy Lash is the winner of the All Gas Offshore podcast. He actually was with Page Day Training. We're hoping to kick that show off by the end of September. So people stay tuned. we got a new, new show joining the family. And Jake, for the first time, guess what? No new reviews? No reviews. Come on, people. We sometimes get you know, 10, 20, 30 reviews a week. We did get one last week. So one of y'all spend the three minutes, give us reviews. We'll give you a big shout out on the show. But this is first Friday Q&A, like Jake said, and it's time for the questions. So Jake, let's get into it. All right. First question is from Brandon, who works over at Slumberjay. Writes, Jake mentioned on episode 180 that Slumberjay and Halliburton, as far as I know, had not announced any layoffs either when discussing NOV incurring costs due to early retirements and severance payments. However, Halliburton announced on July 22nd that it cut 8% of its North American workforce during the second quarter of 2019. Yeah, and, and I know actually quite a few people at NOV. It's, you know, it's a, it's a hard thing for a leader to do is having to make a choice or put together a process so the process makes a choice of, of who they need to get rid of and who they don't. In this low crude price environment that we're in right now, the service companies are no longer cutting fat. They did that years ago. Now they're figuring out which toes and fingers to cut off. And I know several of my close friends at NOV took an early retirement package because it was offered to them and it just made sense and it was the right thing for them to do for the company and for themselves. The thing I'm curious about, Jake, though, is what do you think is going to happen to this this talent that's being dumped on the market. Do you think other companies are going to pick it up, the ones that are doing well? Or do you think that we're just going to lose this talent and this part of the workforce? I think it's going to shift. And I'm already seeing this. I've had some conversations with some other individuals in the space, more on the technology side. I think you're going to have a lot of these subject matter experts that are very valuable to tech firms across the industry. You know, They have all the technical talent that they need, but they need more subject matter experts to help them build whatever their products or services are. I've already seen firsthand this. I mean, for example, companies like Corva are just scooping up drilling engineers left and right that have all been laid off. They're scooping up reservoir engineers, they're scooping up all sorts of type of people from companies like Anadarko, you know, with all the layoffs. So other than that, I honestly don't know yet. And I'm a little I'm a little concerned. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you brought that up. So our sponsor, IBM, big shout out to them. They're great, great company doing great stuff. If you want to see what AI really looks like, ping IBM, go talk to Watson. It's amazing. But you know, Jake, IBM has petroleum engineers, uh, reservoir engineers, mechanical engineers, structural engineers, project managers, all with oil and gas experience. And you're right, they hired them because IBM understands the technology, but IBM needed help to understand the culture and the process and the workflows of oil and gas. So I think they did the right thing by hiring oil and gas experience. So you're right. If you're out there and you're listening to this and, and you're one of the people that took a package or unfortunately you might be one of the people that got laid off, don't just look in the oil and gas industry. Look in the, the big tech companies. And I mean, you know, Microsoft, Oracle, SAP, Amazon. 
you know, Salesforce, all of them, Google, all of them have dedicated oil and gas sales practice. So they would value your expertise and your knowledge. So, you know, unfortunately, if you're one of those people that got laid off, you know, it sucks. But at the same time, there's other avenues that you can pursue. And I really think that that tech pursuit is a better long-term game because somebody like, or maybe Corv is a bad example. So somebody like Microsoft or IBM really doesn't care what the cost of a barrel accrued is, right? They make their money different ways. So you don't have those big ups and down swings you see in upstream in the service companies. All right. Next question is from Chris Maloney. I was a consultant. He writes, I really appreciate your work. The team puts in into the podcast each week. I recently completed my MBA capstone project working as a consultant for a business in the oil and gas industry. And I've been listening for a few months to help understand industry trends and learn the language of the industry a little better. And it's been very helpful. In doing some research about the industry, one of the topics of conversation that I found interesting was around projections for oil and gas demand. McKinsey makes some projections around oil and gas demand saying that they will reach peak oil demand around 2035. That's, that's still kind of weird to say. Even 2020 is weird to say, but 2035 is like really weird to say. But anyways, and then began to be displaced by renewable energy sources such as solar and wind. I have heard opinions. I've heard both opinions where we think electrical vehicles will be adopted quicker and we will see peak demand in 2025. And others think it will be much longer before we hit peak oil demand. I was curious about your opinions on these projections. You want to go first or you want me to go? I'll let you go first. I'm trying to figure out. I'm trying to be nice about I'm trying to be nice <laughs> towards McKinsey about this. <laughs> yeah. Well, McKinsey is one of those companies back when I had an old modal point that I swore followed my predictions every year, then used them for their business, which is fine. Right. I, I'll, I'll take the, the slap on the back. Great company though. I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding about my predictions, but McKinsey is a great company. So first thing, Chris, I, I don't believe, so peak oil demand, I think will happen. But in my version of it, it's not that it flattens out and then declines. It just flattens out, right? It never declines. The thing a lot of people don't understand is almost everything it takes to make modern life possible comes from hydrocarbons. Literally your keyboard that you type this note on is made from natural gas, right? So Electric vehicles are great. Jake and I, before we turn the microphone, we're talking about Teslas, cars in general. If you ever get a chance to drive one, go drive one. It's awesome. But that is not the only avenue for use of hydrocarbons or fuels. So you're going to see gasoline. Gasoline probably be the first one you'll start seeing to flatten out. I don't think it'll be 20, 20, 2030, 2030. I think it's more like 2050, right? Because electric vehicles are really only good for wealthy countries, right? It's, it's, a, it, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of technology that needs to be supported. You have to have the infrastructure, electric vehicle recharging infrastructure. There's still struggles with batteries and range and everything. And if you're in a developing country like China, yes, they have electric vehicles there, but most of the populations could continue to use internal combustion because internal combustion is cheaper and it gives you much better range. So I see gasoline maybe flattening out maybe by 2050. Diesel will be strong for a very long time. Same way with fuel oil, bunker C, all that with all the uh, marine world. So I don't see global... I mean, I don't see peak oil happening in this in this century, or quite honestly. And like I said, when we get to the point where we're no longer need to produce more, when it's flat, when we're using just the amount that we're producing and when that demand is not growing, I don't think it's going to decline. It'll just flatten out because literally everything that we need to make modern life possible comes from hydrocarbon. And that's that you can't change that. Hydrocarbons are such a unique molecule and they're so easy to manipulate. I mean, things like you think about hydrogen or the future of, of using hydrogen for fuel. Well, that hydrogen is going to come from natural gas. We can manipulate that those 
those molecules and do that right now and do it very effectively. Same way with fertilizer. So you've heard me say this before, the majority of the world is fed with fertilizer made from natural gas, and none of that's going to go away. So I read the report that McKinsey did. I actually went back and looked at some of the source data. I really think this is a bit of a biased piece to actually drive McKinsey's renewable business, right? So if you think that the the fossil fuel industry, which by the way, I hate that word fossil fuels. It should be natural fuels or organic fuels. That's what hydrocarbons are. But if, if you think that the renewables are going to replace most of, of hydrocarbons, I just think you're wrong. I think that we get caught up in our own little world here in the US, which most of us believe to be the greatest country in the world. And we completely forget that so much of the world does not even have some of the basic luxuries that we have. Right? Yep. They don't have even indoor plumbing or some don't even have electrical grids. They sure as hell don't have banks. They don't have cell phones. They don't even have access to the internet. So when the world's 4 billion poor people increase energy to just one third of Europe's per capita level, global demand will rise by an amount equal to twice that of America's total consumption. So we can't forget. Those are some good numbers, Jake. forget about that. Yeah, and, then, and, and you're absolutely right. And then on top of that, there are 4 million electric vehicles on the road today. If we 100x that to 400 million electric vehicles, that's more than there are people in the United States. By 2040, that would only displace 5% of the global oil demand. 5%. You're singing my song. So I think you really have to... I, I agree with you, Mark. I think this is a this is a nice little marketing piece for McKinsey's probably renewable consulting business, and that's great. And we have nothing against renewables. We've said this time and time again. It's just from an efficiency standpoint, the just the amount of energy that you can extract from one barrel of oil as compared to something that's comparable, it's just way more expensive to do it the renewable route. Way more expensive. Yeah, and people don't understand the difference in the business. So most renewable, let's let's pick, you pick one: wind, solar, whatever. The energy is free, but capturing it's expensive. It's expensive to build windmills, expensive to build solar platforms, and then storing that energy is prohibitively expensive. If you look at hydrocarbons, first thing, storing it is free. It's in the ground. We're not paying for it. Storage is free. And it is expensive getting it out, but once you get it out, using it is not expensive. So so there's there's a balance here. And what's like Jake said, we love renewables. I have nothing against renewables. I actually talked to the head of the renewable business at Equinor just a few days ago. We're, one of our new shows will be an oil and gas renewable or clean energy. I haven't figured out the title yet podcast. So we love it. We're not dissing them at all. It's all just energy. But yeah, there's no way that we're going to hit peak oil demand in 2030 or 2035. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, I 100% agree. Great question, Chris. On the next one, we got a question from Scott, who is with a company called Streamflow. Right, it's in your show, episode 176, you spoke about hydrogen fuel cell vehicles. Also mentioned that the emissions from these vehicles is water vapor. Knowing that greenhouse gases are 95% water vapor, could one argue that hydrogen fuel cell vehicles could potentially harm the <laughs> environment? At the least, we should study this before society jumps on this band. That's funny as heck. <laughs> that, that's, that's really good because it is, it is a good point. I don't know what to say because you're using my own logic against me. So there's really nothing I could say. So yes, maybe we should study that before society jumps on that bandwagon. I'm going to be honest, I don't know enough about this topic to really speak to it, but that's a great question, Scott. If you find any, if anybody finds any answers to that question, let us know and we'll gladly talk about it in the next First Friday Q&A or maybe even on the next episode. I'm definitely curious to, to learn what the answer to that would be. Next up, we have an anonymous question from a petroleum engineering student. They write, have you heard of the Pilot Thomas Project 
SafeArm? If so, do you think this will grow in the oil and gas market? I also think this will be an interesting topic on an episode of the podcast. So, Jake, here's the weird thing. I, I usually know what's going on. I can just talk about it. If I don't know, it's usually easy for me to find it. So I found Pilot Thompson, their logistics company. And then I found SafeArm, which is a safety company, but I can't see where they did a project together. I couldn't find it anywhere online. I'm doing a quick search and I'm finding a, a whole bunch of positions open for, yeah, it says Pilot Top, Pilot Thomas SafeArm, Frack Team Supervisor. But honestly, I have not, this is the first I've heard about it, to be honest with you. And since this is an anonymous person, we can't say, hey, can you give us more information? But if you're listening, anonymous person that has a Gmail address, that's a petroleum engineer student. If you could give us more information, we'd love to talk with this because if you know something that we don't know, we want to know about it and share it with our audience. Man, I feel like we're being stumped today. What's the next question? Let's see. I oh, got a question from Joe, who's a student at Texas A&M. It's not really a question. I was listening to the podcast today, and y'all mentioned that there are no schools that offer subsea engineering degrees. Well, I'm actually a master's student at Texas A&M and our new subsea engineering program, and just wanted to correct the comments about the lack of subsea engineering degrees. Big fan of the podcast. Notice keyword he said new. It's a new subsea. Yeah. I don't know how new, but it's a newer program. So thanks, thanks for thanks for writing in, Joe. I think that's uh, that's fantastic. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, I'm curious who the A&M partnered with. So I know that Technip FMC partnered with, I think, Logan College, and they offer a subsea engineering, like additional education. I don't think, I don't know if you can actually get a degree, but just a way for them to give additional education. But I'm curious, anybody knows who A&M partnered with this, it'd be great. And I also think, everybody's call me crazy. I also think that if I was a student and I was going in engineering, this is one of those things I would go into. And let me tell you why. Follow my logic, people. So uh, we just came out of this downturn. The subsea market has basically just disappeared because that oil is expensive, right? It's much cheaper to get oil and land and the frack fields and all the shell basins. And so that deep water, ultra deep water, high pressure, high temperature world is not really being utilized as much as it was because it was is because it's prohibitively expensive, which means a lot of the companies that hired subsea engineers laid those poor people off, right? And then those people went and found other jobs. What I see coming in the next probably two years is a huge shortage of subsea engineers. So if I was a student, I would want to be that subsea engineer so that when I get out of school, not only do I have one job, I got a bunch of jobs and it's high paying right out of school offering because there's no subsea engineers. Now, with all that said, don't just become a subsea engineer. And you heard Jake and I talk about this a million times. Go take some big data analytics classes, learn maybe to code or, or something so that when the swing of the commodity, which you know is going to happen another 10 years or so, next time we have another low crude price environment and people lay off subsea engineers, you either keep your job because you have different skill sets to your competitors or you can go get another one. But I think in a couple of years, subsea engineers are going to be making bank. I believe, and I've said this before, that just offshore is going to make a big comeback. I've been kind of fishing around over the past few weeks talking to some people and it seems like that seems to be the case. So to be determined, I, I'm definitely keeping my eye on the on the offshore space. And I'm not talking about the super ultra deep water stuff. I'm talking about the stuff in the Gulf of Mexico, you know, some of the more yeah, on the shelf. Yeah, you're, you're right. Yeah. Not, not the super shallow stuff either, you know, the the, the bulk of the market. So we'll, we'll see how it all kind of plays out. So next question is from, man, I'm going to butcher this name. McCool? McCool? That's probably it. Wait, Jake, you're supposed to read the other one above that. That is a spam. That's <laughs> <laughs> so what Jake skipped over, and I put in on purpose, hoping Jake wouldn't read ahead of time and know he should skip over it. It literally supposed to be this is from Google. And according to Google, their question is hunger note and magnificent reward retire from in regard in owing the treatment of the deliberation you. 
What that actually is, Jake, is a bot. So that's uh, not even our human that's doing that. And the only reason I know that's a bot is we got attacked by a bunch of Russian bots last year. And hats off to the security team at MailChimp. Not only did they let us know what was going on, they did something really cool that I don't know if I can talk about it or not, but they did something. There's cybersecurity did something really cool and they kept us in a loop. And not only were they able to identify where the attack was coming from, they were able to find the DNS, DNS servers and they shut it down. So we had a little bit of a cyber battle going on right in our backyard last year. So that's why I know this is a bot. All right, now we go to the next one. But you can't try not to butcher the name. Mughal? Cool. I think it's Mughal. Cool. But say, Mark and Jake, I'm an active listener of your podcast and an oil and gas professional myself. I was a wireline engineer at Baker Hughes and I'm an MBA have an MBA from Rice University. In a recent episode, you guys talked about the lack of engineers' talent in the industry and the potential short supply in the future. You also mentioned that fresh graduates prefer the tech industry over oil and gas and see oil and gas as a dirty industry. There are many reasons why the tech industry is so successful in attracting young talent. One such reason is they encourage diversity. All they care about is the brain, not the origin or the nationality of their talents. Over a period of time, they are able to attract the best and the brightest from around the globe. However, we do not see that much diversity in our industry in the USA particularly. We do not want to recruit foreign engineers. And in fact, the oil and gas industry is the worst in terms of sponsoring a work visa for the extremely talented global engineers and professionals. There's no shortage of engineers outside the US, but we don't want them. If we continue to shy away from global talents, it will take the industry down. I worked internationally in four continents. I've seen people from all over the world working together in the industry, a true global industry, but not in the U.S. It's the biggest irony that there is no place for global talent, especially in Houston, in a global industry. One of the solutions to this problem is to look for engineers and professionals outside the U.S., outside of U.S. schools and make their lives easier in terms of helping them with work permits. There's no shortage of extremely talented professionals in the world. I hope the industry leaders understand this and take necessary action before it's too late. P.S. I lived in Houston, had first-hand experience. P.P.S. Or is it P.S.S.? I don't know. I really hope you guys dare to challenge the status quo and include this in your show. Which we you did. Included it. You're here. I want to attack, I want to just say something first, and then Mark, you can chime in. If you've ever been to an SPE event, if you've ever been to a ATCE event, if you've ever been to any engineering-focused event in oil and gas, even OTCE, or I mean OTC, I'm the minority there. I am a white male in the oil and gas industry, and I am significantly the minority. So I have a hard time saying that there's no diversity in this industry. Having been to so many events and seeing all different sides of it, I think maybe that's maybe that's just a blanket statement. And maybe could we use more diversity in the executive suite, in the boardroom, perhaps? I haven't seen as many, I guess, Super diverse teams getting private equity sponsorship for like running an EP. Obviously, you know, my focus is primarily in the upstream sector. I can't speak too much on the midstream and the downstream side, but in terms of engineers, we have an extremely diverse industry. Yeah. I mean, that's just kind of my take on it. I think that maybe it's coming from a different angle. I don't know, Mark, what's your take? So I suspect that Mughal probably had a bad experience. I agree with you, Jake. This is one of the most diverse industries I know. I This is a global industry. It's not international. There's a difference. I've been all over the world. Every place there's oil I've been, I've worked and talked and met almost every freaking oil and gas company out there. 20 years ago, there was not that much diversity here in the U.S. Now it's it's everywhere. So, so you know, please don't take this the wrong way that I'm disagreeing with you. I don't see this at all. 
I see companies have no problem sponsoring visas if that if that visa makes sense. Now they're not going to sponsor visa. And let me actually Miguel, let me tell you this from a, a business owner because our editor Emin is in a different country, and if we want to get him over here, we have to do some things from an immigration point of view to make sure that it's okay that he comes over here. What happens when you own a company, whether it's a small company like ours or a big company like Chevron, and you want to sponsor a visa, you have to understand that the U.S. government says, we're not going to let you bring in somebody from outside the country for this job unless you can prove to us that you can't find that talent here. And when you look at the United States as a whole, we have some great engineering schools, if we want to specifically talk about engineers. And so it's hard to, to prove to the government that I need to hire somebody from from Bangladesh for to do electrical engineering when there's so many electrical engineers here. So that's one thing you got to be careful of. The other thing is, like Jake said, when you go to oil and gas events, it's it's so incredibly diverse now. It's it's actually I think it's awesome. I think it's awesome the number of women in this industry. I think it's awesome that you know now they're building FRs that fit women because there's so many women in the field, not back in the office. So you know I'm not quite sure what happened to you and whatever happened to you. Obviously, <laughs> wasn't good. But you know we support you 100. We believe in diversity. We believe that we need to do more. We have no problem. Do you think we have a problem challenging status quo in oil and gas? Or actually, if you want to see somebody challenge status quo, go check out Jake and Colin show that the startups podcast they challenge everything right so i don't see this at all jake i agree with you i don't i don't see this here in the u.s i don't see it outside the u.s actually the funny thing about it if you go to certain parts of the world that have uh, local content requirements there's a lack of diversity in oil and gas because the government makes it that way uh, which is bizarre because we don't do that here but good question thank you for writing in and just because we don't agree with you doesn't mean we don't support you so if, if we can help you in some way or if you want to further this discussion just if let us know else wants further discussion too you know feel free to reach out you know we we are only limited to our experiences and, and, and McCool is only limited to his experiences. You know, I'm all about, you know, global talent, especially when it comes to technical talent, you can just find some really, really bright individuals, you know, looking across our different companies, you know, I've got one guy who's from India. He's actually, I mean, he's one of my partners in one of the businesses and he actually doesn't even have, he's not actually a citizen yet. Another guy's from China, another guy's from Indonesia. Uh, another one of my guys is from South Korea. So there's a lot of diversity in the industry. I think you just, I think you got to look for it. And perhaps maybe you had a bad experience, like Mark said, maybe you got jaded a little bit, but I would love to continue this conversation. I think this is a conversation that needs to be had because we have to check ourselves in industry and, you know, make sure that we are getting the best people for the job, regardless of race, religion, geography, all that kind of stuff. But like Mark said, there are some limitations for, for businesses of getting some of that talent in. So yeah, if you guys are, want to continue the conversation, feel free to reach out. Be more than happy to talk about it some more moving forward. It's a great question. Next up, we've got a question from uh, John, who's an intelligence officer with the DOD. Uh-oh. Yeah, I know. That's the same thing I was thinking. <laughs> he was pissed off. Hope he doesn't look up my uh, military rec- <laughs> service records. That bar fight was really not my fault. Somebody somebody said something they shouldn't have said. <laughs> You're right. Hey, guys. Uh, I'm a recent subscriber to your show. and cannot express how thankful I am for your engaging flow and ability to break down complex topics. I am a quote-unquote outsider to the oil and gas industry, but specialize in Middle East security studies, and we will leave it at that. (laughs) I really want to make a career change to the oil and gas industry and utilize my current skill set to break into the job scene. However, where the lack of my resident knowledge about your industry will preclude me from getting a foot in the door. Given my experience, do you think there's a place for an intelligence specialist to make a career change? P.S. If you or Jake ever need any quick explanations on geopolitical issues, let me know. I'd be glad to help. Thanks for your commitment. I'll pay it forward. I would say I actually know a guy who comes from the CIA. I'm not going to say his name. 
and now has a, he's, he's had a pretty good career in the oil and gas industry and had absolutely no experience. was able to land a nice executive position and then kind of just go from there. And now he's kind of doing his own thing. So absolutely. I think it's no different coming from the government sector as it is coming from the military. There are some skills that are transferable and some that are not, but I think the biggest thing is just the leadership qualities that you have you know, attained over your career that I, I think the oil and gas industry really appreciates. You know, I was very nervous coming into the industry having you know, I was starting a company with practically no experience in oil and gas, and I had dropped out of school to do so. And I was very worried that the industry was going to look down upon me for that. You know, it's it's an industry full of Aggies and, and guys from UT and OU and all that. But the military experience, especially the Marines, definitely made up for that significantly. And I think it kind of showed through the content of my character. And I think that's probably one of the most important things. So John, if you if you're free to, feel free to reach out to me directly, if you'd like, or Mark, I'll go ahead and volunteer him as well. And I'd be glad to plug you in with the guy that I mentioned. So maybe you guys can, can, can connect and you can hear his story and how he made the transition, or I'd be glad to connect you with any other number of, of people who've done the same thing in this industry. Yeah. So John, first thing is I got to ask you a question. So do you think that the Middle East is going to continue to grow really strong relations with Asia? Because I'm worried about that. And somebody like you would know the answer to that. So you can ping me separately. Let me let me know what's going on with that. My other question is weapons of mass destruction. I see the Middle Eastern states continue to develop weapons of mass destruction, even though the U.S. population doesn't want to talk about it. So anyway, I'd be curious about your take on that. But to your question, dude, Every super major out there needs your ability, right? Where do they spend a lot of time doing joint ventures? The Middle East. And what do they need to do? Mitigate risk. And how do they mitigate risk? What's the biggest risk? Geopolitical instability, terrorism, right? So, I mean, your background is a perfect fit for a Chevron or Exxon or Shell or BP or Total because they operate in that region. So I would own the fact that you don't have oil and gas experience. I would actually apply. I'd reach out to Jake and see and myself and see if we can make some connections for you and just say, look, I don't know the oil and gas industry, but I want to learn it. However, I know Middle East security, right? And and that would go a long way, exactly. I think. Yeah, so great question, John. Last question of the day is from Brian. That's uh, with a company called Big Masters. Anyway, I don't have a question. I just want to say that I've never listened to your pod, never listened to a podcast, not just our podcast, never listened to podcast, period, until yesterday. I know I'm late to the game. Only about 12 years, so you're good. But your podcast is the first <laughs> and the only one I've ever listened to, and now I'm a huge fan. I'm on a mission to get caught up on every single one of your episodes. Thanks, guys. That is commitment because we're 181 episodes deep now. So, <laughs> Brian. That's a lot to catch up on. Yeah, Brian, first dude, off. thank you. Secondly, once you get down to like episode 90 and Ford, that's me, I would skip 90 to about 115 because I wasn't that good yet. So... <laughs> But no, that's great. Thank you. Thank you so much, Brian, for for listening to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast universe. There's a lot of other great podcasts out there too for really anything and everything you could possibly be interested in, as I'm sure by now you're probably discovering. Yeah. Brian, this is really cool. Thanks for making us your number one and only podcast. I feel like we should buy him an engagement ring or something. But like Jake said, there's a whole bunch of other podcasts out there. We got a bunch of them. Jake and Colin have a, a one, get ready to launch another one. So if you're interested in oil and gas, there's, and there's, there's other, other oil and gas podcasts out there as well. It's a great way to learn, right? At the same time, you get to absorb that information while you're doing something else like working out or driving or, or whatever. So, you know, welcome to the oil and gas global network family. Glad to have you. All right, guys, that about wraps up the questions for the day. So if you have any questions, you know what to do. Go to the website, oilandgasthisweek.com. Or just kind of go down to the show notes, click the link, submit a question, and we will answer that on next month's First Friday Q&A, even though we really don't release it on the First Friday and kind of haven't for a while. We kind of just coined the term and have run with it. We're really trying to be very mysterious as to when we release the episodes. 
<laughs> let's not go too much down that route. It's an inside joke between Jake and I. And speaking of inside jokes and IBM, IBM's a sponsor show. They're doing something really cool for our audience. We have these awesome shirts right there. We spend a lot of money on these things. They're cut for both men and women. You got a pump jack patent on the front, the OGG and logo on one sleeve, IBM logo on the other sleeve. But the biggest thing is they're uniquely serial number. So each one is instantly collectible. And then Jake and I are going to be giving cool stuff away based upon the serial number. We give away one a week. It's a really easy thing to do. Go to the show notes, click on the giveaway link and go ahead and sign up and people you can do it every week if you don't win one you can enter every week you don't have to enter one time somebody asked me that the other day it's like no you can enter every week but go enter it's really cool and then we talked a little bit about first friday q a so if you want to ask a question just go to the website enter your question if we use it on the air we'll give you a big shout out jake what's the rig count doing i want to be honest i don't know i haven't pulled it up yet (laughs) rig count Da, na, na, na. 959. Ooh, don't like I, that trend. I do. I think we need to go lower. I think we need to see it about, I think we need to drop about 100 more rigs. But you realize that as we drop rigs, people are going oh, yeah. to production. Production is going to continue to increase. We can drop another 100 rigs and production can continue to increase for 11 months straight. Well, that's what I don't want to. Boy, this is a separate conversation. We, it's good we do need to get out of here. We'll have this conversation off the mic. Real quick, if you want to join the street team, I know it's been kind of vague. It's a global group of volunteers who want to be part of our family. Tim is working really hard to get everybody lined up and, and get some assignments. But basically, if you donate an hour's worth of work a week, and we don't care if you have to skip it because of work or significant others, you can be part of the street team. There's a link. Go sign up. That's a really easy thing to do. We also have a Facebook group. And I think I'm going to start doing some live streaming on the Facebook, start doing some education where street team members can ask questions. And we may rotate that around with different podcasts. So I haven't quite got there yet, but we'll see. So stay tuned for that. And then if you want to know about all the oil and gas events that are going on, I have a monthly email. Go ahead and click the link in the show notes. We don't charge you anything. And once a month, we put all the oil and gas events in your inbox for free. And then if you want Jake and I to come speak at your organization, your sales and marketing, your gym or your dojo now, your car club, if you want us to do a keynote, wants to bring a live podcast, we do it a whole bunch. We love it. It's fun. Just let us know. We'll share the details with you. Then while you're online, go ahead and go to the website. Give us your email address. We actually don't do anything with those emails. Somewhere down the road, we will, like maybe for our 200th party, we'll use that email list, invite our members. So go ahead and sign up there and then join the LinkedIn group. Just search for OGGN. LinkedIn group's actually doing really well. A big shout out to, to Allie, Alex, for, uh, for, for helping manage that group. She's making sure there's good content out there and make sure we have a bunch of spammers on it. All right, Jake, you ready to get out of here? Let's do it. All right. Remember, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. And here is Paige with Events on Deck. And here are the events on deck for August 2019. The Oil and Gas Conference, the 11th through the 14th at the Weston Denver downtown. SPE Subsea Well Intervention, 13th through the 15th at Galveston Island Convention Center in Galveston, Texas. Oilfield Helping Hands Summer Pistol Shoot, August 16th at the Texas Gun Club in Stafford, Texas. Uh, of course, Summer Napes coming up August 21st through 22nd at the George R. Brown Convention Center here in Houston, Texas. The IADC Well Control Conference, which is the 27th through the 28th at a Moody Gardens Hotel in Galveston, Texas. Oil and Gas Happy Hour in Tanzania, August 23rd. 6 to 10 p.m. at the Best Western CBD Hotel in Dar el Salaam, Tanzania. A PGICE 2019 will be held 27th through the 30th at Hilton Buenos Aires Hotel in Buenos Aires, Argentina, held, of course, 27th through the 30th. U.S.-based Oils and Lubricants Summit that will be held the 28th through the 29th in New Orleans, Louisiana, And then, of course, the Denver Happy Hour, which will be launching 
August 29th in Denver, Colorado at Liberty Oil Services. Hope to see you there. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week podcast, a product of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasthisweek.com.